Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. If you're able, let us rise and worship the Lord. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice, harden not your hearts, as at Meribah, as at the day at Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my word. For forty years I loathed that generation and said, They are a people who go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. Therefore I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Glory to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and shall be forever. Amen. You may be seated. Now that we've been called into God's presence and made known of His holiness, we'll go to Him in confession so He can cleanse us of our sins and we can continue to worship with a clear conscience. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let us pray. Almighty and most merciful Father, we have erred and strayed from thy ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We have offended against thy holy laws. We have left undone those things which we ought to have done, and we have done those things which we ought not to have done, and there is no health in us. But thou, O Lord, have mercy upon us, miserable offenders. Spare thou those, O God, who confess their faults. Restore thou those who are penitent, according to thy promises declared unto mankind in Christ Jesus our Lord. And grant, O most merciful Father, for his sake, that we may hereafter live a godly, righteous, and sober life to the glory of thy holy name. Amen. As a minister of the triune God, I declare to you that your sins are forgiven in Jesus Christ. Believe that and have peace with God. Let's stand and sing Psalm 103 in response to the assurance of pardon. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. He will not always chide, 
nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Amen. Let's remain standing. We'll sing hymn 101 in the red hymnal. 101, Come Thou Almighty King. Number 101. Come Thou Almighty King, help us Thy name to sing, help us to praise, Father all-glorious, or all-victorious, come and reign over us, ancient of days, come Thou seated. This is the second Sunday in Lent. And uh, Lent, again, is our preparation for the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus. So um, traditional fasting is us giving something up um, to be united to the suffering of Jesus and also to to see how we can give, right, To, to go without to give to those that are always without. The first reading for the second Sunday in Lent comes from Genesis chapter 32. It's found in Genesis chapter 32, starting in verse 22. Hear the word of the Lord. During the night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two slave women, and his 11 sons and crossed the ford of Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream along with all his possessions. Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he could not defeat him, he struck Jacob's hip socket as they wrestled and dislocated his hip. Then he said to Jacob, Let him go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. 
What is your name? The man asked. Jacob, he replied. Your name will no longer be Jacob, he said. It will be Israel, because you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he answered, why do you ask my name? And he blessed him there. Jacob then named the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face, he said, yet my life has been spared. The sun shone on him as he passed Peniel, limping because of his hip. This is why still today the Israelites don't eat the thigh muscle that is in the hip socket because he struck Jacob's hip socket at the thigh muscle. The word of the Lord. Our next, our epistle reading will come from 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 through 7. 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 through 7. Hear the word of the Lord. Additionally, then, brothers and sisters, we ask and encourage you in the Lord Jesus that as you received instruction from us on how you should live and please God as you are doing, do this even more. For you know what commands we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is God's will, your sanctification, that you keep away from sexual immorality, that each of you knows how to, how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not with lustful passions like the Gentiles who don't know God. This means one must not transgress against and take advantage of a brother or sister in this manner, because the Lord is an avenger of all these offenses, as we, pre- as we previously told and warned you. For God has not called us to impurity, but to live in holiness. Word of the Lord. Let us stand and confess what the Holy Scriptures have taught us to believe in the Apostles' Creed. We believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into Sheol. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Our sermon text is the Gospel reading, which is found in Matthew chapter 15. Matthew 15, verses 21 through 28. Matthew chapter 15. Hear the word of the Lord. When Jesus left there, he withdrew to the area of Tyre and Sidon. Just then, a Canaanite woman from the region came and kept crying out, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely tormented by a demon. Jesus did not say a word to her. His disciples approached him and urged him, Send her away, because she's crying out after us. He replied, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came, knelt before him, and said, Lord, help me. He answered, It isn't right to make the children's bread, to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Yes, Lord, she said, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus replied to her, Woman, your faith is great. Let it be done for you as you want. 
And from that moment, her daughter was healed. Let us pray. Holy Father, we thank you for the gift of your son. We thank you for your generosity, for your wisdom. Pray that you would anoint our souls and our ears to be fed by you and to change into the image of your son. In Jesus' name, amen. What are we willing to receive from the Lord? Or another way of phrasing the question, how little are we willing to receive from the Lord? Every Sunday, we pray the Lord's Prayer, in hopes, and the, the hope is that we'll be shaped to gladly receive whatever the Lord has, right? Give us this day our daily bread, whether, whether it's daily bread or chastisement to steer us from temptation, keep us from temptation, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, or even to receive no as an answer to our petitions, right? thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, not my will be done on earth. This is one of the benefits of observing Lent, is that we can focus on giving up luxuries, giving up my will for the sake of thy will, or even certain necessities, so that our hearts can be in tune with God's frequency, with what gifts does he desire to give, and in what amount. We can cut out competing sounds and distractions to help us better hear God's voice. To suffer as Christ suffered in, in order to better understand the heart of God. Our hunger can foster godly gratitude for the bread of life. Our lacking can help us redefine what we truly need. To be in a needy posture will teach us to receive all of God's gifts joyfully. The hunger and the hungry will wrestle for even the master's crumbs. Verses 21 through 22. When Jesus left there, he withdrew to the area of Tyre and Sidon. Just then, a Canaanite woman from that region came and kept crying out, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely tormented by a demon. Anytime that we're told of a specific location in Scripture, we want to pay attention, be mindful of what that location has as a history. Here, we have Tyre and Sidon named. These are located in the northwest of Israel. Tyre is where the cedar that is used for the temple, the cedar wood for the temple, comes from Tyre. Sidon is where the evil queen Jezebel, Jezebel is the queen that's married to Ahab, and she's trying to hunt and kill the prophet Elijah in the Old Testament. Jezebel comes from Sidon. And this is the area in which Elijah flees to when he's on the run from her. This region, then, we see that it's had a close relationship with Israel for a long time. The the king of Tyre was friends with King Solomon at at one point in time. So there'd certainly be some awareness of the true God. There'd be some awareness of Yahweh in the area, among the people. And the connection with Elijah is what's most likely in view here. Elijah also uses this region to withdraw to, and it's here that Elijah also helps a mother in need, a mother with a dying child. Jesus is demonstrating his prophetic office by retracing Elijah's steps, by withdrawing himself to Tyre and Sidon, and now encountering a woman in need of aid for her child. The fact that her daughter is possessed should actually be unsurprising, considering that they're Canaanites. 
A demon-possessed child in the Canaanite lands should not be shocking. This land is rife with idolatry and pagan worship. And therefore, it should be no surprise that the daughter is demon-possessed. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 10.20 that the offering to idols is the offering to demons. So if one worships demons, you're inclined to be possessed by demons. What is surprising, so it's not surprising what the problem is. The problem should be the least shocking part of the story. What is surprising is what the mother says to Jesus. And how closely her words ring to the blind man that calls out to Jesus a few weeks ago. If you remember the blind man on the side of the road, hears that it's Jesus coming and says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And this woman says the exact same thing. Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. But she identifies him as, his, as the Messiah. She identifies him as Lord and asks him for mercy. So is it possible that she's demonstrating a true faith in the incarnate son? Or is she merely willing to add him to her pantheon? Will she just put him next to her statue of Baal and Molech? Hey, maybe you'll help me and then I'll, I'll tack you into the other gods that I worship. This is a common problem in, uh, in missionary endeavors, especially in places like India, right? Where Hinduism, they are, they'll adopt kind of any, any god that is convenient for the time. So one of the issues missionaries have when they go to India is convincing them, no, don't add Jesus to what you're worshiping. Get rid of everything else and you only worship Jesus now. He's the true God. Everything else is chaff before him. And it's actually not that dissimilar to the situation we're in presently in, this, in the West. Right? That, that people have put up other idols. People have erected other statues in which they're going to put their trust and allegiance in. Right? But what, what are you actually trusting in? When, when the chips are down, when your daughter's sick, when your son is sick, when your family is sick, who's the first, what's the first call you make? The first call you make, if it's not Jesus, that first, the first call you make, that's who you're actually putting your trust in. That's not to say don't call a doctor. That's not to say don't give them Tylenol. Right? It's not to say those things are bad. But if they're disordered, if that's the first line of defense, if that's the first token sickness and in trouble, is anything that isn't the triune God, that's a problem, right? And so that's, but that's what we're seeing here. It's like, is, so is this woman saying, I'll add you to my bevy of solutions. Maybe you're just one, for the first, one among the equals. Or is she saying, I'm willing to leave the Canaanite gods behind and put everything I have hoping that Jesus will heal my daughter? That's the question. Is this Canaanite woman faithful? And if she is faithful, why is she still living in Cana? Why has, she's right across the border. All she has to do is walk into Israel and be amongst the people that worship the true and living God. She can escape her demon-enslaved neighborhood and go to the place where God's land is. So if she is faithful, why is she still here? Why does she still dwell in the mire of the swine? Verses 23 to 24. Jesus did not say a word to her. His disciples approached him and urged him, Send her away, because she's crying out after us. He replied, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So it's, it seems to be that Jesus is saying this to the disciples, because it says he doesn't say a word to her. The disciples come, and so when they say send her away, what's implied is, well, just fix her problem and send her on her way. Just give her some pills and get her out of here. Right? We've, got, we've got stuff to, let's, let's just go. Let's just give her something, something to, to ease her pain, give her some morphine, and then we can go. 
That seems to be what the disciples are saying. Otherwise, Jesus' response doesn't make any sense. Okay, so they're, they're, they're wanting God to just shove her off. Just get her out of her way. Um, give her what she wants, and then we can move on. They're trying to withdraw. They want their rest. They need a day off. We've, we've put in six long days. Let's, let's get a break here. And she's impeding them. She's a problem, right? How many times are you ready for rest? And all of a sudden, something comes up and it's like, this is a problem. Let's just haphazardly deal with it. And then we can move on, right? Just, whatever, just give the kids a movie. I'm tired, right? Just give them a cookie. I don't care anymore. It doesn't matter if they didn't have their vegetables. I need a break, right? But Jesus here is reasserting his singular purpose. He is on earth primarily to fulfill the life and history of Israel. That's his primary job, right? God's creative and redemptive work starts in the particular, and it moves to the universal. It starts with one people, and then it moves to all nations. Abraham is selected, and through him, through the particular, all nations are blessed. His presence is particularly found in the temple, and through that, all nations are blessed. So Jesus particularly comes to Bethlehem, particularly comes to the house of Israel, and then through his death in Golgotha, in Jerusalem, through his death, his his life will flow out like rivers from Eden, watering the whole earth. But it starts particular. He has a singular focus. He has a singular thing in mind, which is, I'm going to fulfill everything Israel has failed to be. I'm going to uphold who who she ought to have been and make her a perfect and clean priesthood so that then everyone else will be blessed. But first, this is my job, and I will not be dissuaded from doing my job to the house of Israel. And in a way, this is a challenge to the woman. Is she going to, he says, my job is to the sheep. So is she going to say, I'm willing to be one of your sheep? Is she going to identify as a sheep? Or or will she hear the pushback and say, oh, okay, I'll find someone else. I'll find a shaman. Somebody else will fix my daughter. He begins a wrestling match with this woman. Just like with Jacob. Just like when God approaches Jacob and wrestles with him at Peniel. Jesus has a singular purpose. And the wrestling match is going to sort out, does this woman have a singular hope in him? Is her hope and her faith singular? Or is she functioning with a pluralistic mindset that any one of these options could work? Or is it, it's just got to be Jesus. That's the only way we get out of this thing. This is one aspect of God wrestling with us. That we're put through trials to purge out idols. That he'll actually put you in pressure cookers to see what kind of, what kind of dross is going to be bled out of you when the hardship comes. The sweat from the wrestling match is going to urge you to hold tighter onto God and release any idols that are, are, are loosening your grip on him. The pressure cooker of financial hardship will purge our trust in our checkbook. The frailty of sickness will diminish the faith we place in our physical stamina. So will this woman pursue the wrestling match or will she reveal that she has hope in other places and walk away? Verses 25 through 28. But she came, knelt before him and said, Lord, help me. He answered, it isn't right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Yes, Lord, she said. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus replied to her, Woman, your faith is great. Let it be done for you as you want. And from that moment, her daughter was healed. So remember, our reading from Genesis of Jacob wrestling with God at Peniel. Jacob refused 
to let go of God until the Lord blessed him. And this woman is showing the same strength. Yes, Lord, whatever you have to say to me, I will receive it with gladness as long as you bless me. I will not let go. Her faith has compelled her to grip onto the Lord as her only rock, her only source of hope. And she grips on despite the humility of being a covenantal dog. The title of dog is not some slur. He's not just saying like, he's not calling her ugly. He's not trying to insult her appearance. He's calling her a dog because covenantally she is. She's not allowed at the table. She's mangy. She hasn't been, she doesn't come from a circumcised people. She doesn't come from a people that have the Levitical cleansing rituals to remove the curse from them. She doesn't have any of that. She's a Canaanite. She's, she's riddled with idolatry and, and the curse. They exist outside of the covenant boundaries. You have to remember in the Old Testament architecture, you have the priests, which get the most close, the Israelites, which can get into the temple and bring sacrifice, the God-fearing Gentiles, which are not circumcised, they can come to the outer court, but no closer, and then everybody else is outside. And you don't let dogs into the house. Maybe you let your dogs in the house, but you shouldn't. No, I'm just kidding. But the dogs aren't let into the house. You don't let dogs come in and eat. And you're definitely not going to give the dog your kid's meal. That's in, that would be an abusive thing for a parent to do. To feed a dog their child's dinner. God has not made promises to feed the dogs in the same way that he's promised to uphold and care for his children. Remember, the, the universal comes out of the particular. First, he said he, he makes sure that it is very clear who his children are. He identifies it very distinctly. These are my children. This is how I care for my children. Then he'll go out and he'll say, I'm going to make you a child. You are a dog and I'm going to make you a child because now you see how I care for my children. This is a particular love and affection I show for them. A certain kind of care. Right? God doesn't give manna to the Egyptians. He only gives bread from heaven to Israel. The bread of God belongs to God's kids. And good fathers don't give strangers food off their kids' plates. We ought to care for strangers. We ought to care for widows and orphans. But if you are causing your children to starve because you're so pious that you're going to be generous to other people and make your kids go hungry, that's the, that's the wrong math. Right? In Timothy, we're told that if a man does not provide for his family, he is worse than an unbeliever. So the partic- remember, the particular first. This is first my house. The, the care and the love for the house comes first And that informs us how to love those outside the house. But the house has to be tended to. This woman humbly accepts this position. She doesn't doesn't buck against that. She's like, all humans have dignity in the eyes of God. She says, yeah, I'm a dog. I'm not a a Jew. I'm not not welcome in the temple. I know that. I'm I'm just asking for a crumb. She doesn't want to take the children's food. She wants her master's crumbs. What falls off your plate, Lord? I'll take that. She displays a similar desperation as the woman who grabs the hem of Jesus for healing. She doesn't need all of his attention. She knows if she can just get a little bit close. If I can just, if I can just grab the tip of his garment, that's, that'll be enough. I just, gotta, I just need a, the, the littlest bit of Jesus. I know that's more potent than anything else in the world. A glimpse of Christ is worth more than the full glory of any other king. This ought to give not just the disciples, but us pause. 
Is that how we understand Jesus? Are we that shipwrecked on the beauty of Christ that a single glimpse of him is worth more to us than any other, any other delight that our eyes could turn to? Any other affection that our heart has? The Canaanite woman understands the nature of the law of Israel intimately. Right? She inserts herself into the stream of gleaning laws that God had handed down through, to Israel through Moses. So since Deuteronomy, there have been laws in place in the land of Israel that we, if you have land and you're harvesting, you actually don't harvest all the way to the edges of your field. You leave the edges unharvested, and anyone who's poor, a sojourner, a stranger in the land, a widow, an orphan, anyone can come along on the edges of your land, and they can collect grain and be fed. It, it, it preserves their dignity as a human that works for their bread, but it also provides food for them when they have no land of their own, when they have no money of their own. So the entire DNA of Israel, is, it's already baked in that you have people that are on the outskirts that are allowed to glean from the excess of Israel. The, cr- the crumbs of the master's table are already in the law. This is thy will. The will of God is one that says, yeah, I'm going to have crumbs fall off my table and I want people to come to my table and eat them. That's already there. And it had been there for thousands of years. And the Canaanite woman, who's been a neighbor of them, who's been on the edges of Israel's field, she recognizes, I'm just a gleaner. That's all I am. I'm like Ruth, who's come in and is, and is laboring in Boaz's field, just trying to feed me and my mother-in-law. She recognizes this, whether implicitly or explicitly. And so when she says, I just want the master's crumbs, she's recognizing I am a gleaner, I'm a stranger in the land, and I just need what's on the edge of the field. This kind of charity encourages Israel to not be tight-fisted while also enabling the needy to be cared for. By showing herself as a gleaner, she shows that she actually has a place in God's kingdom. Look, Lord, your law has already carved out a place for me, and I'm willing to receive that place. I don't need to be a landholder. I don't need to be adopted. I just want to be a stranger in your house. I'd rather be, I'd rather, like, like the prodigal son, right? I'll go back to my dad's house and be a slave. It's better than anything else. I'll be a slave to my father. He doesn't have to take me back as a son. Because I know it's better to be a slave in my father's house than a king anywhere else. And this this should humiliate the disciples who in other passages are jockeying for position at the table. Who's going to be the right hand, Jesus? Who's going to be your number one guy, Jesus? I want to be next to you, Jesus. Who's going to have a robe of authority, Jesus? And this woman says, I'll be like a dog eating crumbs off your table. She is content to glean as long as it's in God's field. Her faith is an unveiling of the childlike faith that inherits the kingdom. This is what it looks like to have faith in Jesus. This is what childlike faith looks like. It is to say, I will go hungry on anybody else's food. I just want the food off of his table. Like a two-year-old that tiptoes for a bite off their mother's plate because they know if mom's eating it, that's good food, right? This woman knows that she only needs a holy crumb to be sustained. Her wrestling with God confirms that she knows where the true bread comes from. And the irony is that a few verses after this passage, Jesus is going to feed the 4,000. And before he does, the disciples are like, where are we going to get food from? They're befuddled about where they're going to find bread. And they live with the guy who is bread. They've been following him for three years and they still can't figure out where bread comes from. All this time in his presence, and they still don't know. 
Because the disciples don't have the same kind of hunger as a woman who is far off with a dying daughter has. The hungry mother can smell bread from miles away. The well-fed disciples miss the bread of life that's right under their nose. In the words of Psalm 84, better is one day as a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than a thousand days anywhere else. If we know how good our master's bread is, we will crave even the crumbs. We worship a merciful God, yet he is also a God whom despises pride. It is our young faith, in our young faith, we were the Canaanite woman, eager, desperate, and hungry. And as our needs and wants have been graciously met, we can become fussy and picky. We don't want to eat crusts anymore. We want pie and ice cream and champagne. But would we be content with crumbs? Ought we be content with crumbs? Would we still say God is good if we lost our church building? Would we still say God is good if our neighbors despised us? What if we only had the word of God, a single cup of wine, and a dinner roll to share among the congregation, all huddled in someone's basement? What if that's our situation? Would we still say God is good? Would we still worship the king? Would we delight in those crumbs? Granted, we are promised far more than crumbs. God is generous and gracious to us. But all those blessings are not necessarily going to be given this side of the resurrection. We get tastes of them. We get glimpses of them. But we don't get the full weight of glory. Our our desires should not be presumptuous. We ought to ask ourselves, are we willing to wrestle with God in hardships, in starvation, in sickness, trusting that he is the Lord holding all creation together? He's the Lord that will reconcile all things to himself. Are we willing to wrestle with that God, to hold on to that God? This is our benefit of fasting, that it reorients us to what it means to actually need. I, I, I really need, I really need a treat tonight. I've had a hard day. I need it. I really need to watch a movie. I need that. I really, I really need, I really need some peace and quiet. I need that. Is that what you need or is that what you want? And to actually, to actually deprive yourself of food, which you need, is to teach your body what it means to need, what it means to lack. Hunger for bread can train us to hunger for Christ, to better taste his mercy, to delight in his gifts. And in doing so, you will grow in mercy toward those who beg for crumbs. You'll learn to look on the Canaanites around you with the eyes of Jesus. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Let's stand and sing. Hymn number 570, Faith of Our Fathers. Number 570, Faith of Our Fathers.
in spite of dungeon fire and sword oh how our hearts be high with joy whene'er we hear god's glorious word faith of our fathers holy faith we will be true to thee till death our fathers chained in prisons dark were still in heart and conscience free and blessed would be their children's faith if they like them should die for thee faith of our fathers holy faith we will be true to thee till death faith of our fathers god's great power shall draw nations unto thee and through the truth that comes from god his people shall indeed be free faith of our fathers holy faith we will be true to thee till death faith of our fathers we will love both friend and foe in all our strife and preach thee too as love knows how by witness true and virtuous life faith of our fathers holy faith we still be true to thee till death amen may be seated Our Lord's our tithes and offerings. And Bill will bring the basket around. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. In response to offering our uh, labors to the Lord, we'll offer him song in the uh, Gloria Patri. Glory be, oh. <laughs> Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost, as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be world without end. Amen. Amen. That's all right. You got it. That's great. All thank you. Uh, we'll go to the Lord in prayer now.
And uh, if, after each collect, if there are particular things we'd like to lift up, um, when we do that, uh, the McKean family's uh, out sick with a cold, so when we uh, pray for those that are sick, we can remember them. Uh, but anything else, at any point in time, if you'd like to offer it up, um, feel free to do that. And then after I say, Lord, in your mercy, you'll all respond, hear our prayer. Our God is a God who hears and answers prayer. Let us bring our petitions and thanksgiving to him in Christ's name. For the peace of the world, for the welfare of the Holy Church of God, for the unity of all people, especially the church in Maine. Lord, in your mercy. For our president, our governor, for the leaders of the state of Maine, the nation, for all in authority, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, give those in positions of authority godly wisdom and a fear of the Lord, that they would have their minds in line with your revelation. Lord, in your mercy, for the good earth which God has given us, for the wisdom and will to conserve it, for food and shelter, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, we thank you for the snow and the beauty that it brings. Uh, we pray for those that plow, especially we think of Kurt, as this provides a, puts a lot of work on his shoulders, that you keep uh, the plowmen safe and keep people's power on and their heat going. Lord, in your mercy. For the aged and infirm, for the widowed and orphans, for the sick and the suffering, for those who are lonely, for those in bondage to addiction, for all who are confused and lost, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, we pray for the McKean family, that you'd heal them of their sickness, and give them peace and comfort. Lord, in your mercy. For the poor and the oppressed, for the unemployed and the destitute, for prisoners and captives, especially for persecuted Christians living in fear or threat of danger, for all who remember and care for them, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, in your mercy, let us pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's stand and sing number 94 in the red hymnal. Number 94, How Firm a Foundation.
excellent word. What more can he say than to you he has said? To you who for refuge to Jesus have fled. Fear not, I am with you. Oh, be not dismayed. For I am your God, and will still give you aid. I'll strengthen you, help you, and cause you to stand. Upheld by my righteous omnipotent hand. When through the deep waters I call you to go, the rivers of sorrow shall not overflow, for I will be with you, your troubles to bless, and sanctify to you your deepest distress. When through fiery trials your pathway shall lie, my grace all sufficient shall be your supply. The flame shall not hurt you, I only design your dross to consume and your gold to refine. And therefore, go into the world, making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you and lift his countenance up to you and give you his peace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Amen. A doxology? Oh, no. We'll sing it a cappella. Sorry. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures.